0: Hi, I'm Paul Reichert. In 2005, I married in to Faith Church. So my wife Beth is from this area and grew up going to Faith. And it was about that time also that Joe had come on as the youth pastor at Faith. And that's how our friendship uh, began and was established. From there, we were sent out as an extension of this family serving in Ecuador over the next 12 years. And got to know others from Faith as teams would come down, support what we were doing but also during our visits home, uh, we would connect with people. This has always been our home base and really a special place for us. So this is a huge privilege. As of about a year ago, we are no longer officially on the field. We're back in this area. It's a time of transition and reorientation for us as a family. So vocationally right now, I'm wearing a few hats. One of those is limo driver. I do that one or two days a week. I'm also a life coach, helping people navigate God's plan for their lives. And as I thought about who I am and why I'm standing here in front of you, some other things came to mind. I mean, when when I'm really stepping in to who God has called me to be, I'm a few other things. I'm a mere mortal. I'm dearly loved. I'm a guy who's weathered some storms alongside my wife for 12 years. I'm data to three inspiring kiddos. In all my good days, I'm a learner, an adventurer, a strategist, a visionary an organizational development geek. On my best days, I can be an authentic presence, sometimes a transformational guide. On my best days, on my not so good days, I'm not sure we should go there, but you know what? Actually, maybe we should go there. So on my not so good days, I'm overly opinionated. I get anxious a lot. I could dominate people with my words verbally. Quite frankly, some days I'm one lost soul. Now you're on the edge of your seats wondering where this is going. That's who I am. And why am I standing here in front of you today? Simply this, because God, the universe is present. And an encounter with him today could change the trajectory of your life. This may be your first time here, or maybe you've been coming a few times, or maybe you've done this routine so many times that all the Sundays bleed together. Wherever you are, I want you to know there are vast and unexplored spiritual landscapes waiting for you to step into and know and experience. And maybe for some of us, it's time to stop playing church, step in. To a rich new spirituality that's vitally connected to Jesus. Maybe it's time to be done with some old broken patterns. Maybe it's time to see healing of pain and hurt, to feel the power of his presence flooding your soul and transforming you from the inside out and coursing through your veins and changing the world around you. Maybe it's time to let go of a hollow religious experience for the adventure participating in a redemptive movement. Goes way beyond Sunday mornings and what happens in this building. And Jesus is calling us in to come deeper in with him. And this reality I'm describing, it has a name, it's called the kingdom, and we're gonna unpack that together today in the next two weeks. This is part one in the series, Deeper in Christ. The guiding question is that, how do we go deeper in Christ? At the core of this question, it's incredible intersection. The God of the universe, the human heart, your heart, my heart, that's where it begins, that's where it grows, and that's where it comes out of. So we're going to be looking at this parable called the parable of the sower. It's found in Mark uh, chapter 4, and Luke 8, and Matthew 13, and what we we'll read in, this, in the singing, the version of Matthew. And that's where I'm mostly going to be pulling from, but I'll be pulling from the other places too. So what's a parable? A parable is just a story that through its imagery conveys and communicates a meaning, a truth for real life. If you can lean in and hear and understand it, this is how Jesus taught. As he wandered the countryside, he'd take something from everyday life and Put this truth in it and see if people could hear. So he says, be careful how you hear. He doesn't always interpret the parable, but this is one of those times that we get to look behind the curtain. There's this moment with him and the disciples, and they're saying, what does the parable mean? And actually in Mark 4, he says a startling thing to them. He says, if you don't understand this parable, how are you gonna understand all the parables? So there's something important here for us to learn that can unlock other truths in our lives. And I'm gonna go to Matthew 13, 18, where Jesus starts his interpretation, says this, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and I'm gonna stop there. So even though we are getting this interpretation from Jesus, we still need some context to be able to understand what he's saying. There's a farmer, right? He's sowing seed just like any farmer, he's sowing seed because he intends to produce something. He intends to cultivate something. And Jesus is saying that thing that he's trying to grow is the kingdom of God. This parable is about the kingdom of God. But what is the kingdom of God? I mean, that can be a strange concept. It's not something that, that we're used to, you know, living under a king and being a part of that. Although some of you are saying, Paul, I am an expert on royal weddings. Right, we know way Too much about that. But what we see on TV and what we've studied doesn't seem to be like what Jesus is talking about. And yet we know from other places where he said, This is why I've come. And something that helps me to understand this idea of the kingdom of God is this it's just God's agenda. You know, it's what he intends to bring about in the world. And he's bringing that about wherever that's happening and is aligned with his heart and his intent. There's the kingdom of God. And I want to lean on Tim Keller here, who's an incredible author and thinker. I lifted this quote from one of his sermons. Uh, You can find that link to that sermon and quote in the app. I'll just read it here. Jesus did not simply bring forgiveness of sins when he came. Did not come and simply say, if you receive me, I'll forgive your sins. Jesus says, I come to bring the kingdom of God. Forgiveness of sins is just the beginning, the foundation, the start. The kingdom of God is nothing less than the power of God in heaven entering the world to heal every alienation and every brokenness in every dimension of human life, whether social or economical or racial or emotional or physical or psychological or spiritual. It's quite the agenda. And he's called us to participate with him in this. Here's how I would sum sum this up. The kingdom is God's plan to heal, restore, and redeem all brokenness. This is why Jesus came. Yes, he came to die on the cross and take on sin so that through him we can have forgiveness of sins, but this he does so that we can enter his kingdom and participate with him in this powerful new reality that he's bringing about he started it and one day will bring it fully into completion that last day when he wipes away every tear from every eye and we get to be a part of it this is a big one salvation is only meaningful in as much as we participate in the reality that it makes possible i'm going to read that again Salvation is only meaningful in as much as we participate in the reality that it makes possible. What does that mean? If somebody, your friend or somebody hands you a ticket to the Super Bowl and you could never have paid for that and he gives you the ticket, he's made away, that's good news, right? It's good news, great news. Only if I reorient my life to that. I have to cancel my plans, I gotta go along or find a way to get there to the game and then really enter into the experience, right? Maybe tailgate for seven hours, eat some ridiculous food, deep fried Oreos, uh, go through the gates of the stadium, see the lights, hear the noise, the fans, G A G L, right? And participate. If I just hold on to that ticket, what's the point? What is the point? By the cross, He's made it possible for us to participate and enter into this incredible redemptive movement called the kingdom. So how do we enter it, and how does that power enter us? Through hearing. Through hearing. Jesus says the word, the seed, is the word of the kingdom. And that word, word, is a loaded word. It's the logos. It refers to God's living and active voice. John was another follower of Jesus, and he began his account Of Christ's life with these words and I'd encourage you to look at the whole chapter of John chapter 1 this week in the beginning was the word the logos and the word was with God and the word was God he was with God in the beginning through him all things were made and without him nothing was made that has been made ever this is a look at Genesis the beginning the first book of the Bible how did God bring the universe into being there's God And there's this darkness and void. And what does he do? He speaks. He says, let there be light. And there was light. Here's what I want you to see. God's word creates what it communicates. God's word creates what it communicates. I could sit here all day and say, let there be chocolate cake. You know, let there be chocolate cake. And... We all know where that's gonna land me. Hungry, frustrated, maybe in some sort of institute. But when God expresses his mind, when he speaks, creation follows. It does what he says. The exception, sometimes, of the human heart. That voice that was in the beginning, that spoke the world into being, John says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. See, that voice, has a name, his name is Jesus. And he speaks even still, just like he did in the beginning. It's like God is standing there at the edge of our hearts in the darkness. He's saying, let there be like a farmer sowing seed. Let there be humility. Let there be gentleness. Let there be self-control. Let there be patience. Let there be generosity and kindness. Let there be love in the depths of our spirit he's calling forth this life and this is his do- design for how he would c- cultivate the kingdom his design is that his word would take root and bear fruit that it would take root in a human heart and bear fruit in the world and that soil represents the state of our heart and jesus it says the word of the kingdom is like a seed. I love this. It's so subversive, like a seed. This is not how earthly kingdoms grow, is it? And here you have the God of the universe who just by thinking it or speaking it can bring anything into being. And yet he doesn't coerce He doesn't twist your arm. He doesn't come in with bulldozers and tanks and stake out his territory. That's how earthly kingdoms grow. No, he comes in like a seed. Like a baby, helpless, some dusty manger, a corner of the world where no one would know. Bible says his voice is a still small voice, like a whisper. It's like a seed and yet it's remarkably powerful and it's powering the redemption of the whole world and our job is to receive that word like seed falling into good soil. You know, Luke eight fifteen has this incredible description of the good soil and I would love for us to memorize this together and I'm gonna invite you to read it with me if you're in the center here in the chapel or watching online we can read this together would you this is Luke eight fifteen. the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Six characteristics of the good soil. Spend some time looking at that this week. The parable warns us of three dangers. See, because often the people who thought they were getting it, as Jesus spoke, weren't getting it at all. And the ones who we think weren't getting it and were outside its kingdom end up, in the kingdom at the end of the story. So he gives us these warnings and we're gonna look at the first today and the others in the coming weeks. The first one is this. Jesus says that some seed falls on a path. That this is like the person who hears the word but doesn't understand it. And that word understand is also translated in many places as consider. We don't consider it, we don't pause to take it in. I wonder how many times We're missing what God is saying because that word can't penetrate the surface because the surface is hard and packed down. So we miss what God is saying to us. And if we wanna go deeper in Christ, we've gotta cultivate the habit of asking this question, God, what are you saying? What are you saying? What are you trying to speak into my life right now? But it doesn't break the surface sometimes because of hardness. And I think there's two ways to look at this hardness. One is this, I have a resistant heart. Maybe my walls, for whatever reason, are up towards God. I don't wanna hear. And I think all of us have been there, and this is understandable, especially in some cases where you've been trampled down and trampled on. If that's you, I just wanna say, I'm sorry that you've been hurt and God sees you, and his desire is to heal and restore and redeem, and he's patient and kind and gentle and loving, his arms are ready and open to do that when you're ready. There's another way to look at this hardness. It's not something that others do to us, we do it to ourselves by creating well-worn paths, spiritual ruts. You know, maybe there was times in our faith earlier on or moments when there was more life, more fire. But somehow we settled into some motions and maybe found ourselves in a place where it's been a long time since we encountered the piercing power of God's presence deep in our hearts. This reminds me of a story that I think we're all familiar with in 2010 there was a devastating collapse of a 100 year old copper mine in Chile that left some guys stranded 2300 feet beneath the surface. Remember this? In 17 days after the collapse, a probe came up with a note that said we're alive and well in the shelter, the 33. And NASA and submarine specialists, and psychiatric specialists, they all descended on this place. They created this place called Camp Hope, in a race against insanity. And they told these guys five days later, it's gonna be four months till we can get you out of there. And the world was gripped and we looked on. And things went better than expected on October 12, 2010, all 33 of these guys the 15 minute ride in a 21 inch diameter capsule to the surface to life rescued from death and i cannot imagine what it would be like to be one of those guys and they were propelled into instant fame and they went to disney and sporting events and talk shows there was a movie and i just you know maybe they were thinking at that point can you can you just imagine what life might look like from now on. The story doesn't end there. Over time, as things settled, media outlets would start doing these follow up stories where are they now? and recount how the majority of these men were suffering worse circumstances than they were before dealing with unemployment, substance abuse, criminal activity. Devastating psychological effects, sleeplessness, nightmares. And one of these pieces, the reporter asked this question, did the Chilean miners need a second rescuing? I wonder if some of us spiritually can identify with that. We're in need of a second rescuing. We've been rescued from death. We have forgiveness of sins. And that's good news, but somewhere along the way, as things settled, we came to a place where we weren't sure where to go next, and maybe we're just surviving. We double down, we try harder, we keep walking these same well-worn paths, hoping that there's going to be fruit. But do we find ourselves being more self-controlled, more patient, more kind? Or do we find ourselves in the same broken patterns like a broken record and within our marriages in the same recurring fights that lead to the same isolation and we figured out how to manage it and stay married and get what we want but the bond of that marriage has been poisoned and damaged and we don't know what to do and God has blessed us materially he's given us so much so that we can bless others but are we finding ourselves more generous with what he's given freely, or we find ourselves just trying to get a little more, maybe clutching tightly. See, we keep walking these well-worn paths. We go on about building our own insulated little kingdoms that revolve around my comfort, my control, and I'm king. Jesus, he's a role player helping me establish my kingdom. I think we hunger and long for something more. We hunger for that word to penetrate our hearts and change us and make us new and to redeem that brokenness in us and around us in our relationships. How do we do that? We do it by learning to hear his word, to hear that living and active voice. You know, there was a young man on my team in Ecuador named Esteban. Soft spoken guy, regularly would bowl me over with his wisdom. And one time I remember we were discussing transformation. And he said, Paul, it's like this there were two farmers that prayed for rain, and one went and tilled the soil. Let us be people who till the soil so that we can receive the word of God. This is not a, a to do list. You cannot check these things off, these are things that must be cultivated practices, learning to hear his voice. And I'm not talking about an audible voice. We hear God differently. And I wanna give you some things that you can begin to cultivate and practice to set you on this path. The first is this, humble yourself. Humble yourself, learn to do. This This is about posture. And I wanna just put something in front of here. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I'm going to say that a few times, but this one really is. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It says, here's what it says. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. We know this. We've been rescued from death. It was a gift from God. There's nothing we could have done, but it doesn't stop there. It continues. Four. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, the living and active word, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And that word workmanship, that's the word poiema in Greek, and that's where we get our word poem. So we've been rescued, right, because we're his workmanship. We're this creative expression of his heart. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's like he had this dream all along from from the beginning. That's why he's rescued us. So we can step into that and live that out and participate with him in redeeming. We're this creative expression of his heart. He is the artist. We are the art. The second thing is this. Engage fully and expectantly. Engage fully and expectantly. This is about being present. You know, I think we've lost the ability sometimes just to be present, to be here. We spend so much of our mental energy thinking about what's coming tomorrow or what I did yesterday in that conversation and going over that. And we, quite frankly, spend very little time just here right now being. Where do you think and when do you think you will encounter God's voice? Yesterday, tomorrow? It's now, but we've got to cultivate this practice. I think about myself when I'm camping next to a fire and I'm mesmerized by those flames and just kind of draws me in. And sometimes music does this, just helps me be present and hear. Got to cultivate this practice so that we can do the third thing, which is learning to be aware of his voice and attuned to his voice. Again, this isn't something audible. For me, a lot of times this is in creation. I mean, God is just impacting me with his power and his love. If I can be present and looking and expecting of that. And this reminds me of a time my daughter, I think she was three years old. Um, we walked outside someone's house and it was the first time she saw the sky just lit up pink and orange and all these colors. I just, I, this is like etched in my mind. She says, daddy. The sky is pink. Jesus loves me so much. Are we there? Do we see that? It's all around us all the time to tune into that and hear from him, his love through creation, but also through Scripture. But let me tell you something. If we want to go from reading the Bible to encountering the living and active word, we've got to stop treating our Bibles like a math textbook. It's not what it is it's the expression of his heart it's not opaque ink on a page it's a window into that heart a mirror into our own souls we got to tune into his voice don't blow through chapters and chapters and chapters let it sink in and consider it for a while also when we pray we do well-worn paths right I want to share this resource. I feel like everybody should have it. It's a book by Richard Foster, and there's a link in the app. It's called Prayer. I'm just going to read you a few of the chapter titles. Prayer of Examine, Prayer of the Forsaken, Formation Prayer, Covenant Prayer, Sacramental Prayer, Contemplative Prayer, Intercessory Prayer, Authoritative Prayer, There are vast and unexplored spiritual landscapes for us to know and discover ways to encounter and hear God's voice. And even in our conversations, are we tuning in to what God is saying? Because guess what? God might use you as the channel and the instrument of his living and active word in someone else's life, but we've got to be tuning into that presence, into that voice and that presence. This takes time to cultivate the last thing is this, receive and respond. When God is pressing something into our hearts it may come in the form of an image or an idea or a sense, we receive that into our hearts and we consider it. And then we respond, we reorient ourselves to what he's asking us to do, we obey. A couple of weeks ago, Joe shared about the shepherd, right? We know his voice and so we follow his voice voice we obey like the rest of creation so as we close and I'm going to pray for us that we'll be hearers of the word what does it mean to hear the word here's this acronym and maybe some of you guys saw this taking shape or maybe you didn't so help us remember some of the things that we've been talking about here so you can bow your heads and I'll pray for us as we close and guide us through these things the first Let's humble ourselves. Can we do that? Let's humble ourselves before God. Just humble yourself. God, like we sung, yours is the glory forever. We lift you up and we exalt you for who you are. We thank you for giving us this day and this moment and that we're yours. God, we're present as we take in Each breath, as we feel the weight of our bodies against the seat, we acknowledge that this moment is a gift from you. We're here. We want to hear your voice, Lord. Help us to hear it. Help us to tune in and sense, what are you speaking to us, God? God, what are you speaking? When you look at our hearts and you say, let there be, what is that? Help us to get a sense of it. Lord, I pray in your grace that you would help us to receive that deeply and to surrender to that truth that you're calling us into. Lord, we praise you and we thank you that you have rescued us so we can participate with you in the redemption and healing of all brokenness, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.